How can a supportive community for nurses based on the healing arts help nurses to not just survive, but thrive? Let's talk all about it right here on episode 284 of The Nurse Keith Show. Well, hey there, this is Nurse Keith. In these days of the COVID-19 pandemic, we're disseminating as much high-quality, evidence-based information and expert opinion about the situation as we can in our special bonus COVID-19 episodes. Meanwhile, we still want to support you in your nursing career and personal development, so please enjoy this interview that touches on the pandemic in its own way, but is not 100% focused on COVID-19. Be well, stay safe, and many blessings on you, your loved ones, your colleagues, your communities, in everyone on this troubled yet beautiful planet of ours. So we are here with Diana Conturena and Lucy Camarena of Cultivating Self. And we are here to talk about so many things related to nurses and how nurses can really care for themselves. So Lucy and Diana, I want to get right into it. And Diana, I want to start with you. So what does it mean to build a community of nurses based on the healing arts? And why is that important right now? That's a great question, Keith. So creating community literally allows people to feel safe, to connect, to support one another, regenerate, uh, which actually has a direct impact on their mental and emotional health for anyone participating. And right now, especially in these COVID times, many nurses have found themselves feeling very isolated, even more so than before. Uh, I can speak from personal experience and having to be isolated from our families, from our loved ones, stories of nurses being isolated from their own children. And having a community is something that can mitigate all of that. And, and it's, it's just lacking in a lot of our lives. So I think it's, it's very central to what we're doing with Cultivating Self and what kind of makes us stand apart from these other initiatives. I see. And when you say building community, of course, in the times of COVID-19, where we are right now, getting together for retreats and things that I know you've done already is a little bit tricky. So is this beginning as an online community? And then hopefully, you know, once we get a handle on the, on the pandemic, it can move into actually being together in the same place. Well, actually, we have been building this community for the past couple of years, working towards this community foundation. And through the retreats, we have been gaining a lot of attention around that and nurses keep coming back. They keep asking for more. And with the limitations that COVID has brought us, it's actually just transitioned us to the online space. So we've been working on this community building for a while. And um, we are gaining a lot of attention around the things we're doing online. So we do feel that once we're allowed to gather again together and share spaces and be together in community, that we will have a pretty solid foundation of nurses that are needing it and that have been participating and that are going to share this vision with others. That's great. Now, Lucy Camarena, now you're a doctor of nursing practice and also critical care nurse, and you have several other certifications as well. And I know that you work with Diana in the pediatric intensive care unit at UCSF Benioff Children's Hospital in Oakland, right? Yes, I do. That's where we met. That's where you met. And that's a level one pediatric trauma center. So the two of you work in what sounds like a fairly high stress environment. So when you all met, I just want to go back to how this came together. When you all met, was it camaraderie around the stress of the work and that's where you started to realize that something could be done or how did that all come together for just the two of you? Oh, okay. Well, that's a great question. Um, I would say, so I've known Diana since I was a student in the ICU, um, in the PICU. She was um, starting out there as a new grad and, you know, within like a year, I was I was right alongside her as a new grad. So we're both new grads and we both started in the ICU, in the pediatric ICU. Hmm. Um, and then I went to school for the next four years and I worked on my master's degree um, and got it a clinical nurse leader. And then just this past December in uh, 2019, graduated with my population health leadership, doctorate of nursing practice. 
Congratulations. Thank you. And, you know, of course I graduated and everybody was like, where are you going to go now? (laughs) Are you leaving us? Are you, you know, because everybody just assumes I'm leaving the bedside and I don't want to leave the bedside. I love the bedside and I love the interactions that I have with my patients, but, you know, around and, and I've always been very in tune with my emotions. Um, my father always sort of instilled that, you know, like before we truly knew what emotional intelligence was, he was already talking about it. And, and so I, you know, and so I've always been very in tune with other people's emotions and sort of, you know, taking that into consideration and my own emotions and taking time back and managing my stress, which as a nursing student, I did not do well at all. <laughs> Okay, um, I can relate to yeah. that. Okay. Yes, yes. And so so then, you know, um, when Diana started offering the retreats, she would definitely come to me personally and talk about um, coming to the retreats and how I wanted to join and how I could be a part of the community. And so we've always sort of been in touch with that. But because I was in school, um, you know, time was a, a little bit tight. Um, and so when I finally graduated, she approached me about um, being a bigger part of cultivating self. And I was mm-hmm. really excited. And we quickly found that we work really well together. She's like the artistic coming up with the ideas, like, go, let's do this. And I'm on the other hand, I'm like the logistical organizational, like, okay, hold on, hold on. Like, yes, we can do all of this, but let's be, you know, um, smart about how we do it and how we go about it. Is it because you're a doctor? (laughs) So my my master's and my doctorate did prepare me for that, I have to say. (laughs) Does she call you Dr. Lucy? Sometimes. She's making me me call her Dr. Lucy now. (laughs) Okay. So, I mean, obviously you all have great synergy between you. And I know there's a lot of other people on the team, which people can see at cultivatingself.org. And I know it's a 501c3 now, right? Is that true? Uh, not yet, not but we are yet. working, we are working towards that. Yes. Okay. Thanks, Diana. Yeah. So you're on your sure. way to 501c3, which means you can take tax deductible donations and apply for grants and all that kind of stuff. Exactly. So, so Lucy, what made you go to the retreat and was that in 2018 or 2019? And what was your experience with this first retreat that you attended that Diana was putting on? What made me go? Probably Diana insistently being like, sign up, sign up, sign up. Okay, <laughs> Which fair. is good, okay. right? That's what we kind of, sometimes we yeah. need that push. Sure. And I'll tell you, I, the morning of the retreat, I like woke up and was like, I have so much schoolwork to do. I have so much homework that I have to do. And I, but I already signed up and I already paid. And so I have to show up. Right. And then it was like the best thing ever. Like I disconnected. It was in a beautiful location in Napa. Mm. But the biggest takeaway that, that I can say is why I love retreats and why I love cultivating self and why I love putting on these events, whether it's virtually or in person is because it humanizes each other. And and you learn things about your your colleagues that you wouldn't have learned just from giving the report or getting report from them. And so when we humanize each other, there tends to be a correlation to a healthier work environment, you know, and when we know what's going on with each, you know, in each other's lives, and even though we're not talking about it each time we see them, we at least, you know, can can sympathize, empathize with them. And, you know, it just, it makes it easier to work with them which in turn, right, increases patient safety. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Of course, of course. And, you know, Diana, you've studied political science and Lucy, you've studied population health. So you all come from this, you come at this from a nursing perspective, but you also have this bigger global vision, right? Population health, political science, you put it all together with nursing. That's a very interesting combination of skills and ways of looking at the world. So, Diana, in terms of political science and in these times we live now in 2020, how did that how has that affected your time as a nurse? And I know you also worked in a union to protect nurses' rights. So how do you tie that part into this part about taking care of nurses and nurses taking care of themselves? How does that all kind of fit and how is it of a piece? Yeah, so I I actually feel very fortunate to have the background in political science because it has really allowed me to 
quickly recognize when these governing systems are failing the people they're Mm. actually supposed to be serving. So through my work, you know, so I got my bachelor's, my first bachelor's in political science. I did some volunteer work with a local congresswoman. Uh, I worked very closely with constituents. Then that would come into the office. I engaged them in uh, city hall meetings and hearing their stories of courage and perseverance and in this in the face of all this systemic racism and oppression that, you know, we're seeing so overtly right now, it was really inspiring. And, and some of my work also was in public health. And that's kind of what looped me back around into nursing and really where I found my love for nursing and patient care. So that's just a little bit on the political science end. And with my studying in political science on labor movements, it wasn't until I actually became a nurse that I could have the opportunity to participate uh, in collective action on a very intimate level. And we are a part of California Nurses Association at UCSF uh, Benioff Children's Hospitals. And I started out and I was approached by one of our nurse reps in the in the PICU and he was like, hey, come to our come to a meeting. And I was like, okay, sure. This sounds great. You know, it's right up my alley. And I quickly got very, very activated and passionate about these issues on nurse, not only nurses' rights, but patient safety. And, you know, it's been really rewarding to be a part of that because we can see from history and also laws that have been implemented specifically here in California that nurses really hold the power and the knowledge to create real change. And, you know, a good example of this is the, is our patient nurse ratios that we have and that have actually been, um, it's the, California is the only state that actually stipulates in law and regulations uh, regulates a required minimum nurse to patient ratio to be maintained on a unit at all times. That's very true. The only state, first and only. So from your experience, that law has actually had a positive effect on your practice. And I imagine Lucy would agree. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. And, and actually, st- you know, studies have shown and found that as a result of this law, occupational related injury and illness among nurses has dropped by 30%. Nurse, uh, nurse employment has actually increased by 15% as nurses have felt more protected at the bedside. Um, and so we know that mandates like this uh, they improve patient outcomes. And it's a quick, just a quick reminder that, that, that this grassroots campaign was initiated entirely by nurses who came together to inform the public, educate their patients on the issues that they were facing at the bedside. That's fantastic. Now, I live in New Mexico here in Santa Fe. And last year during the legislative session, we finally passed a safe harbor bill for nurses who can evoke safe harbor and say, I don't feel safe and they can't be disciplined for patient abandonment or any of those other things that can happen when you say this assignment's unsafe, I'm not going to take it. Now, we're still trying to figure out how to implement it and make sure all the facilities are actually following the letter of this law that was actually signed by the governor last year during the legislative session. And I'm on the Government Relations Committee of the New Mexico Nurses Association, and we're a very activist association. But these things take time, and it's it's baby steps, and we can't get there all in one fell swoop. It just never works that way, generally. Right. And Diana, I just want to mention, just backtrack just for a second, that you mentioned systemic racism and what's going on right now. I just want to tell the audience that we're recording this on June 2nd, 2020, and this is the period of time right now when we're recording when many cities, there's protests going on. We don't call them riots. That's what other people call them. They're protests. and Peaceful protests. Peaceful protests. Well, yeah, we're trying. And there's the systemic racism, all of the things that cause us to experience stress in this world. And we know how people of color have carried that burden for so long and continue to carry it. So we have nurses of color, of course. We have healthcare workers, patients of color. There's so many issues here and and we can't go too deep into this right now because I want to get back to cultivating self. So I want to tie this back together to cultivating self and ask you first, Diana, and then I want to go to Lucy, that does the healthcare system support 
the health and well-being of healthcare workers in like in the bigger picture do you feel like the system is doing what it's supposed to do what do you think diana i love that you asked me this question it's it's been I just love answering this because I think that now, especially with COVID, it's become, it's very transparent. And now the public can easily see how facilities have failed to protect nursing staff, you know, environmental services, respiratory therapists, all of the, all of us. Mm -hmm. And I don't, I don't believe, I, I think absolutely not. I believe that, um, we are not being supported in our health and well-being. And in fact, I think that the system, current system actually perpetuates these destructive behaviors that lead to unaddressed physical and mental illness among physicians and nurses. Some examples of this, you know, include mandatory overtime, mm -hmm. this kind of just-in-time staffing, um, which they also do for education. And so, you know, minimal of any patient support support staff, also decreasing cutting security, which is leading to increasing workplace yes. violence, which we have, we have experienced, I can say Lucy and I, you know, and we know that. And with this current pandemic, you know, it just becomes more dangerous for pro providers and patients to be in these facilities. And so I, we believe that the facilities have an obligation to support nursing staff and create a healthy work environment and that they need, we need to shift this culture to one that actually empowers nurses to prioritize their health above anything else. And there are many ways to do this. And it starts with that building community and it must be accessible. Um, you know, nurses not only aren't the, aren't the only ones who suffer as a result of burnout, it's our patients, our loved ones, they bear the burden with us. That's right. And we have the environmental workers who, and we have the, the food service workers within the hospital. We have all the different staff that are involved. So nurses, exactly. of course, are, are the largest percentage of the healthcare workforce, but there's plenty of other people behind the scenes and out front. You know, we have physicians, surgeons, aides, the people who come in and clean the rooms under duress during COVID. I mean, they're risking their lives yeah. too. So absolutely. And Lucy, how what would you reflect on that? Do you have anything else you wanted to add to what Diana just said about the the, the healthcare environment in a hospital or outside the hospital and what nurses and others experience as staff people and employees? Yeah, absolutely. So I completely agree with Diana. Um, and she, you know, I'm more, very much more optimistic and I like to see the good in everybody. And, um, and she's really good about being like, no, but like, look at the reality and look at the statistics and look at, you know, that whole, um, aspect of it. And so, yeah, I don't, I think that hospitals have the potential to really truly support us but there there isn't the follow through with it there's a lot of programs that get started and and then they kind of fall through the cracks somewhere along the way because of budget cuts or the person that was leading it you know retired or now went to a different organization or whoever we were paying to do the program now is not a part of it um and so and that's what's great about cultivating self right and so cultivating self is by nurses and it's for nurses but in the grand scheme of things it's helping everybody in the hospital setting it's helping everybody that we're working with because you know it's contagious and if we're happy and if you know the type of energy that we're giving out at work then those around us are going to feel that and you know and so we're doing cultivating self and we we have done like a subgroup of that um it's called cultivating resilience community um and so we're doing that specifically on, at, at ucsf um in oakland and what that does is we try to hold monthly gatherings and where we like um you know kind of combine cultivating self with a cultivating resilience community. And, and we just open it up to everybody at the hospital and we say, hey, come. And we did an amazing reset room. So we transformed this boardroom where, where like most of our like high end meetings happen at the hospital and we transformed it into this beautiful reset room. Okay. And we, you know, we're like, there's big windows and we had some essential oils going and we had coloring pages and tea and people could just drop in and, you know, drop in, reset for a second, you know, a few minutes and then go about the rest of their day. And it's, and, you know, and it's, it's efforts like that. And my doctorate project actually was a nurse mentorship program, which we didn't ever have. Um, and I know a lot of other mm -hmm. hospitals have that and it's part of new grad programs, which we also don't have. Right. And so, 
yeah. So my, I mean, my mission and my goal has always sort of, and has been aligned with Diana's all along, right? Like helping our nurses to, to, you know, so that we don't get burnt out. And, and as we, you know, kind of go forward, like millennial nurses are sort of taking over and they are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Millennials are becoming the largest part of the workforce because that's what happens with younger generations. They come in and they, they become part of the, like the staff, and then they slowly move into leadership, which is what's happening right now. And I was just speaking the other day with someone who's starting a podcast called The Millennial Nurse. And actually the podcast has already been launched. It's out of Australia. And it's about the struggles, challenges, and successes of millennial nurses. And I pointed her to two of my previous episodes. The first one was um, six things to love about millennial nurses. Uh, And I'll try to remember to put a link to that in the show notes because it's so important for us to recognize that we have a multi-generational workforce. There are generally three to four generations um, working at any given time. And, you know, we have little portions of them as they age out. So, you know, you all are actually, you know, beginning to assume leadership. And that's very inspiring to me. And that's why I've been supporting the millennial generation of nurses, because it's so important for you to feel empowered and take the reins of power. So thank you for doing that. (laughs) Yeah. And it's actually, Lucy has... um some really good points on, you know, we've talked about this, Lucy and I, about the importance of empowering these millennial nurses because, you know, the statistics show that millennial nurses are the least engaged. And, Mm -hmm. you know, so, so yeah, Lucy, you could probably elaborate a little bit on that. Yeah. um, Well, just some of the statistics, um, millennials, you know, are the least engaged generation, only 29% are engaged. Um, Mm -hmm. They change jobs more often than the other generations. Um, And about 21% of millennials report switching jobs within uh, the last year and are always open to different opportunities, right? The Mm -hmm. reality is we get bored easily. (laughs) And so, and so for, you know, hospitals just sort of need to keep up uh, our engagement and keep us interested, right? Um, And so it, and, and millennial turnover cost is so high for the U.S. economy, an estimated $30.5 billion annually, um, not to mention, you know, all the thousands of dollars um, that it costs in training a new nurse. And a lot of my um, research during my doctorate was around that and just like, how do we decrease turnover rates and how do we get these um, nurses who felt a calling, right? Because nursing, you you have to feel the calling, right? Like to be able to take care of somebody in their most vulnerable time. Um, but then how do you keep them engaged? And how do you make them realize that it shouldn't just be a job for two or three years and then you move on to the next thing and the next thing. Um, but the amazing thing about nursing is that there's so many opportunities and there's so many different roles that you can take with one license. That's right. And we're going to take a quick break in a second, but I just wanted to reflect on that for a moment that yes, millennials do change jobs often and we need to systemically look at why that is. So you know, millennials can be criticized for being on their devices all the time, but I always say, well, who gave them those devices? I don't think they actually created them. I think the older generation did, and they actually put them in their hands. So don't cast dispersions on them for that. And the other piece is that millennials, if they don't feel that a healthcare system or employer actually embraces them and actually recognizes their gifts and sees what they can what they can actually do and allow for growth and evolution and not just feel like cannon fodder, of course course they're going to move on. And I think if we can create workplaces, which I think you two are part of the solution, we can keep them around and nurture them, have them in the leadership pipeline. And then all of a sudden there are these blooming, amazing leaders because we've allowed them the opportunity to do that. Don't you think? Yeah, we need a lot of TLC. Absolutely. And it, it's all about, and we're going to get it there. <laughs> it's all about the acknowledgement, really. I mean, as well, right? Exactly. You know, we've got to acknowledge yeah. each other and what we're doing. And that's all we need. Right. And speaking yeah. of acknowledgement, speaking of community and nurturing, we've talked about a lot of the problems. We've talked about the challenges. And we're going to take a really quick break. And when we come back for the second half, we're going to start talking about solutions. Okay. Okay. 
All right, we'll be right back. So now we're going to take a pause for the cause for just a moment. Please consider becoming a patron of The Nurse Keith Show, just like other awesome listeners who value the show so much that they want to give just a little bit each month to support the work we're doing here. When you pledge, you not only get the satisfaction of helping produce and support The Nurse Keith Show, you also get some pretty cool premiums and gifts from yours truly. Just head over to patreon.com forward slash Nurse Keith to read all about it. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash Nurse Keith. And if you know someone who could benefit from career coaching with me, please consider referring them. And if they become a paying client, you'll receive credit for an hour of coaching with me. And there's no expiration date on that credit, so you can keep it in your back pocket until you need it most. And remember that you can refer as many people as you like and continue to earn those coaching credits. What an incredible deal. And please head over to NurseKeith.com and sign up for my newsletter, which comes out regularly and brings you supportive messages, updates from my blog and my podcast, resources, and all sorts of other stuff. Remember, NurseKeith.com, sign up for that newsletter, and you'll also get a free download from me as my gift to you. Anyway, those are my sincere asks today. So now, Let's dig back into today's topic without further ado. Now, welcome back to the second half of this episode of the Nurse Keith Show. Remember that the show notes are located at nursekeith.com forward slash episode 284. We're here again with friends of the pod, Lucy Camarena and Diana Conturena. They are both from the Pediatric Intensive Care Unit at UCSF Benioff Children's Hospital in Oakland. And both of you, we were just having this awesome conversation about the problems, the challenges faced by especially millennial nurses, and also about, gosh, we mentioned endemic and systemic racism and problems with nurses in terms of them not being cared for by their employers and the organizations losing them and nurse attrition. So Diana, I want to start with you. So how is building a nurse community going to help all of these issues or address as many of them as we possibly can? And what's your vision? What do you see happening? So the vision for this community is a decentralized cooperative where nurses have ownership. And as we grow, everyone grows together financially, spiritually, emotionally, physically, And imagine what a powerful community of nurses could do to serve their surrounding communities, right? What kind of amazing things could these nurses do when they're feeling healthy and nourished and excited about life? And, you know, it's just the the possibilities are endless. Mm -hmm. We can, once, once you, we're powerful. Nurses are very powerful. And I think that it's important for us to visualize this community. You know, do, do you think your relationships would be better, you know, if you had this supported community? Even the ones who don't live in the community could still benefit because they would still be able to take, learn, come, learn, and then share what they've learned with their families and their friends and nurses, you know, and it just continues to grow and grow. So that's that's what we visualize with Cultivating Self, and we see it growing into, into something very big. Wow. So within the next five to 10 years, let's say, you know, COVID, we eventually get COVID behind us or at least under control and we can meet together again. And I know you've had some in-person retreats. I know Lucy did uh, get coerced to come to one and then join the movement, (laughs) which is wonderful. So in five or 10 years, that's right, man, not coercion, persuasion, right? So in five or 10 years, what do you think might be happening? And what, what would you like to see if you had a magic wand? What would that look like? If I had a magic wand, yeah. I would say that Cultivating Self is, becomes an interconnected network of these supportive communities around the country. We are growing our own food. We are providing education 
uh, continuing education units. We're learning about permaculture, regenerative health through food. Um, we're creating resilience and community-focused curriculum for facilities and nursing school programs so that yes. we can – the nursing school program thing is huge. You know, we, we really have to start – to start there. And, you do indeed. <laughs> <laughs> and I also see the strong support system for nurses experiencing or at risk for burnout and offering them a diverse modalities of healing therapies. Great, great. And Lucy, when you hear that vision, how do you resonate with that? And as a doctor of nursing practice, coming from this, this place of population health leadership, what do you vision and do you feel that this could actually really shift, let's say, specifically hospital culture? What could this actually enact in the hospital? Oh, well, it's very difficult to change hospital culture. I will tell you that much. Mm -hmm. um, but you're, we're doing it, I girl. Yeah. <laughs> but I think one of the advantages that we have is, again, that the workforce is changing. Um, that as the baby boomers start to retire um, and the people that are, have sort of been set in their ways for many, many years start to sort of leave the organization because it's, you know, retirement time, nothing that they did wrong. Um, I think that as, you know, as these new nurses come on and, and us specifically, that's how you change the culture, right? Mm -hmm. And it's just slowly moving things towards that. And I mean, we have an amazing manager who supports this. Um, and so, you know, having that support is really important. Um, we've had meetings with the CNO and the COO um, who, and they also support these initiatives. And so it's just sort of, knowing how to word the 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 mission mm -hmm. so that they have buy-in right and that's the the biggest thing is how do we get these nurses to have buy-in and and nurses are so great at caring for other people but how about giving ourselves a fraction of the care that we give other people wouldn't that be nice? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Really nice. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and so if we, I think if we learned to do a little bit more self-care and not see it as a selfish thing, but see it as um, like a necessary, a mm -hmm. necessary evil, you know, like if, if nurses start to see that and it's sort of ingrained from nursing school and them starting in the, 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 you know, work, working, and that's how you change the hospital culture, right? But you change it from within with these sort of things, right? So we have cultivating self, which we're ha hoping, and we've already had some connections on the other coast, um, but that will grow nationally, that will grow internationally. And then, but then we also have the subcommittees that are within the hospital and the institution that we're working at that then you know, so that it'll grow and, and we can reach um, both inpatient and outpatient nurses, um, you know, school nurses, uh, nurses who run podcasts. Really? Oh, boy. Yes. Okay. Awesome. Right? There's so many. Right. Yeah. Inpatient nurses are not the only nurses that are out there. It's only about 50 to 55% of the profession, right? Right. Yes. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. So, yeah. So I think we forget about that sometimes. We do forget about that. You know, when we think of nurse, the first thing you see is a nurse in a hospital generally. So, mm -hmm. you know, I've been in a, in a, a collective of people, a loose collective of people who've been trying to change that vision for a long time as well. And one thing I wanted to say about this generational change also is that the baby boomers came of age in the 60s. It was a time of great change. And a lot of things did change. A lot of things didn't. And, you know, it's now time for a new generation to enact change. And that is actually happening at this very moment. And we right. need to allow for those changes to happen. We can't, yeah. we can't hold on to power too determinedly because we need to let it go. And I, it is going to happen and it is happening. Well, it, it, it needs to go because it's not working. You know, exactly. I mean, it's, it's nurses are dying, you know, here we, it, nurses are sick. Their yes. families are, their families are, you know, suffering as well. And we have this, the numbers to show it, you know, but we don't even, aside from that, it's just not working. And it's, we have to not only change the culture, but we need really to start over. And, mm -hmm. and that requires the buy-in, like Lucy was saying, you know, from, from the higher ups until then, and until then, and, and a lot of persistence 
you know, because we are, Lucy and I are an exception, you know, there, we are not the norm of millennial nurses, you know? Mm -hmm. So (laughs) if we can create more, more buy-in, get more buy-in from the millennial nurses, then we can, we really have a a chance. That's Mm -hmm. very true. And, and you're, you're both, you're both right. You need buy-in at the upper level because you, Mm -hmm. and Lucy, you, you said it right. You said you need to find the words to be able to get them to, to understand. And so I see that as you have to speak their language and often you have to go for the pocketbook. Like Mm -hmm. you have to say, look, if the nurses don't quit, if they stick around three, four, five years, not just 12 months or 14 months, then you're going to save money. This is the amount of money it takes to onboard a nurse and precept a nurse and get him or her up to speed. Uh And then, you know, look at all those costs. So if, And and and, and I have to say, Keith, that, that is that was like the main point of my doctorate um, dissertation. It was it was this mentorship program is so needed, but how do I get them to buy in? And then I actually applied for a grant and got a, about seventeen thousand dollars for this Excellent. program. Oh my and, gosh. and it yeah, and it, and it was that it was how do I sell this right? And it and it because. The mentorship programs needed, but how do I speak the language of the higher ups who are listening to the people that are even more above them, saying mm-hmm. money, 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 and they're sort of in the middle, and and it and it is that, and it's it is if you take care of your employees, they will take better care of the patients, which will in turn save you money, right. and you know, and so so it just. It's how do we, and that's why Diana and I work so well is because she has all these great ideas and then I can go and be like, okay, but this is how we're going to put it together. This is how logistically we're going to get it to be, you know, when she first came to me about, um, you know, cultivating self, but then also implementing something similar in the, like at the unit level, then I, you know, I was able to be like, well, shared governance, our shared governance is, you know, the the Mm -hmm. way to go hospital already supports our shared governance and so you know so then you get support that way and and you you slowly build it and i have to tell you it's been six months since we started all of this and we've built a lot of traction we're booking up great (laughs) we we almost have events going on every week now um and i think a a lot of it is because because we didn't have an option we started offering things virtually and then you find that it's very easy to do a sound bath over Zoom, um, have a 30-minute discussion about stress um, mm-hmm. with, a, with another speaker. And and so that's it, right? I mean, nurses are willing to give us 30 minutes out of their day. But, it, you know, and so slowly we sort of bring them in that way so that then they'll commit to a full day retreat or a whole weekend retreat. Yes. Yeah. Right, or a whole week retreat. So a lot of nurses out there might be thinking, yeah, this sounds wonderful. And yes, I'd like to do all these things. And I have children to feed and I have work and I have a disabled spouse and I have elderly parents. I'm in the sandwich generation. I got to take care of my parents and my kids. I'm also in a DNP program. Mm -hmm. So I guess one of the secrets here going forward, and I guess we don't necessarily have the answers right now is we have to figure out how do we reach these people in even small ways? Like you just said, Lucy, a 30 minute sound bath, which I'm assuming yeah. is like music therapy or healing, sound healing over yes. Zoom, for instance. And then they realize, wow, that was actually, that sounded pretty radical, but that was pretty cool. And then once you're able to have in person events, people might start to prioritize such a thing because mm-hmm. they realize, wow, I had a really profound experience. Yeah, so, exactly. Exactly. And a lot of, a lot of what we're doing as well is, um, you know, some nurses and Diana, you can speak to this more, but some nurses here retreat or meditation and they go, oh, it's all this foo-foo and the da-da-da. Mm-hmm. But, and so what we've done is we bring people in and they talk about the science behind it, There's right? So, so we had, science. Yeah. 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 So we had a music key. therapy session, which was amazing. And she talked about the science and mm-hmm. we know, talk about so, laughter. We do the laughter yoga. We talk about laughter science. And I'm a laughter yoga leader. Yeah, My I remember you true. saying that. Yeah. And and we have Caroline Carthenas, the hula hoop girl, oh, who I know love, you're, we love you're doing an online Zoom 
retreat with her. It yes. already will have happened by the time this airs, but I've already signed up and we'll, we can talk I about saw, it. After we saw, yeah. We're so excited. Yeah. The, the Latina, Latinas sticking together. Yeah. Absolutely. We gotta support each other. <laughs> so Diana, when you bring in this mix of you know, we talk about sound healing, we talk about meditation. So when we bring in a mix of spirituality and science, and I know you're interested in plant medicine and mushrooms and herbs that can be used in trauma and addiction and all these different issues, I'm totally behind that. So how do you, how do you get buy-in from nurses again? Is it, does it have to do with making sure you bring in the science so that people feel like, yes, there's some credibility to this. This isn't just something they do in San Francisco or Santa Fe. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I think you, you pretty much nailed it, Keith. Okay. We really okay. have to, like, you know, talk talking about speaking the, their language. You know, the secret mm -hmm. that the secret behind getting healthcare providers to buy in is to show them the evidence and to show them the the research that's happening. And and I hope that if we've learned anything from this COVID experience, it's that we have not fully explored the potential of plant medicine to heal physical and mental illness. You know, acute and chronic. And it's really exciting because, you know, we have, we have doctors, I, we, I, you know, we actually are going to have a, a play shop coming up on psychedelics on the use of psychedelics. And mm -hmm. we have, we have a researcher with maps, um, who's, she's also an, an emergency room physician and she, you know, she's going to be doing an intro introduction course for us. We have a pharmacist who's going to come talk to us on the pharma pharmaceutical, uh, uses and efficacy of cannabis. And I think mm -hmm. it's really important because, you know, I can say from my own experience, being a the bedside and pushing morphine or put, you know, fentanyl, whatever it is, it's like, oh, it, it really just, there's so many things that we haven't explored. And at the end of the day, is that really serving our patients? No, it's not. And we, we you know, and I that, know it's not. right? Who knows it's not. And a lot of people out there listening probably know as well. Exactly. So I yeah. think in order to better serve ourselves, our patients, we really need to be utilizing a variety of different practices so that we can create this truly integrative healthcare system. And that's going to come from within the system. You know, like doctors mm -hmm. are going to listen to doctors and nurses mm -hmm. are going to listen to doctors and nurses. And, you know, we're going to listen to the science. We're going to look for the science. And that's what we're doing. Doing, you know, and yes. and and so but it starts with education, and it's education. Absolutely. Yeah, it starts with right. education because a lot of nurses that I talk to, they have no idea about the research that's being done with MDMA, with psilocybin. They don't, they don't even, they have no clue. And so and it is being done. I mean, right here in New Mexico, there are places where you can go and have guided. Yep. Um, experiences with a doctor, with a medical mm -hmm. doctor and a nurse, where they take you on a on a on a journey using, um, I think it's MDMA that they're using mm -hmm. at this point. Mm -hmm. There's actually several different drugs that are being, I mean, not drugs, but um, uh, medications. medications or or herbal or uh, plant based medicines that are being used that have psychedelic experience. You know, that's part of what. The mind altering is, compounds, uh, right? Thank you, my, thank you. I was really struggling there. <laughs> That's okay. Um, I yeah. did not have a mind altering compound before this, and <laughs> I've had a number of nurses on the show who've talked about uh, who've talked about cannabis and mm -hmm. the uses of cannabidiol, etc. So we've mm -hmm. gone into CBD. Mm -hmm. I haven't yet had anyone on the show to talk about this new therapeutic use of psychedelics and. It is actually happening out there. The science is real. It's not pseudoscience. Mm -hmm. No, I mean, this is happening at Ivy League uh, institutions. Johns Hopkins University has launched Absolutely. a huge study. Um, yeah. My nursing school alma mater, I have to say. And then... Um, <laughs> You know, and we found that MDMA and psilocybin actually halts the default mode network, which is what creates that reoccurring feeling of trauma. So, yes. you know, it allows you to kind of sit with this memory without the reaction from the amygdala. And mm -hmm. really, it really does, you know, can change your that perspective. And the, there's lots of data showing the efficacy of MDMA for PTSD and trauma. And I, you know, I think there's just a lot of education and science out there to back this. And we want, we want to, we want to bridge that, that gap. Absolutely. So, 
I would love for you all to send me some of the statistics you've quoted. Lucy, I think you have some statistics you quoted earlier to send me. And any studies or any information you have about these particular plant-based therapies that or psychedelic therapies that you'd like to share that I can put in the show notes, that would be really wonderful for people to be able to access. And of speaking of links, I want to make sure people know to go to cultivatingself.org. And I also know that you all are on Facebook and Instagram at this point. So those are the basically the three places to find you all at this time, right? Right. And you, so you can find us at Cultivating Self Now on Facebook and Instagram. And cultivatingself.org is our website. Right. Now, before we close, I just want to touch on a couple things. Now, on your website, there's nothing there to give me any details yet because so, I know it's sort of in process, but you've mentioned service retreats. And Diana, I know you've done nurse volunteering in Mexico, Central America, South America, and that we already talked about your political science background. And you both are very politically active and savvy and looking at the world from this high-level humanitarian viewpoint, but also from the grassroots at the same time. So what are you planning in terms of service retreats in brief? Can you give us a little hint about what that might mean? Yeah, absolutely. The service okay. retreats are so exciting because it allows us to go to travel outside the country, um, mm -hmm. link up with the local nurses and, you know, or maybe they're not actually nurses, but whatever it is, the, the local care caretakers and actually work with them so that we can learn from them. And the goal is to offer some sort of service, whether it's, we have a, we have a good friend who's actually also part of the Cultivating Self Project who um, does a yearly trip to Nepal and she does, um, she teaches, uh, does BLS training and not just for nurses and physicians, but she actually, they actually got the entire hospital staff trained in BLS. Um, they also had a clean water project to get filters installed into the hospital. Um, so service retreats for, for us are, are focused um, around service, obviously, to offer mm -hmm. a service, but to also learn and have fun and connect with a different culture. And, and so that's, that's kind of the little teaser of what we're, what we're thinking for these service retreats. We want to do Great. them all over the world. Sounds wonderful. And when I was at University of Massachusetts getting my bachelor's degree, professors would bring nursing students to either Ghana or Jamaica. And mm -hmm. My wife is a social worker and doing her master's at the time in community development and organizational development. So she came along with a group of us to Jamaica. And the reason we chose Jamaica over Ghana was because in Ghana, you couldn't actually swim in the ocean because uh. it was polluted. And we thought, we're going to go to Jamaica. So we actually we joined with a nonprofit called Global Children. We did work in the bush in eastern Jamaica for quite some time, for about five years. There's still oh, wow. a family there. My wife and I help support and a, a godson we're putting through school. So we were introduced in that way and then dove into Jamaican culture and still have ties there. And I hope to go back next winter if it's possible to travel. So yeah, you know, well, there's a lot to do in Jamaica now, Keith, including psilocybin assisted retreats. That's very true. Just saying. <laughs> just, so, saying. just saying. So <laughs> Lucy, there's also a mention on the website of a restorative home. Now, is that something you're thinking about in terms of a physical restorative home for nurses or is this more more of a sort of like a symbolic restorative home for nurses? No, actually, um, the main goal over mm -hmm. is to have a, a physical restorative home. And so we actually, we have a GoFundMe page that you That's can right. find the link to um, through the Cultivating Self um, website. And the link will be in the show notes as well. Oh, thank you. And so our goal is, is is to buy a house so that we can hold retreats in this house. Right now, what we're doing is just renting out different spaces, um, but it would be great to have a permanent space where we can hold retreats, um, which then, you know, would, of course, um, influence the cost of the retreats for nurses. So that would be very beneficial for them. Um, and then, you know, of course, there would be nurses living there, Diana would be one of them. I know myself too well to know that I don't do well with roommates. Okay. Diana knows. So she knows I will support her in all the other areas. Um, right. 
So this will be a physical home probably yes. in California, it sounds like. Yeah, I mean, yes. it's, it's, so the California, so this GoFundMe is really uh, for a, the pilot project of this okay. of this home, community home for nurses. We want to um, start some research and collect data around it as we, as we go so that we can scale it and extend it across the country. One of the rooms, the goal is also to have uh, a room that's available for travel nurses. So we can uh, link up with travel agencies or whatnot and and have a space for travel nurses to live during their travel assignments and and yeah and it's going to be cultivated by by nurses uh, we'll be able to hold more regular play shops there and just a space where there is it's an open door for anyone in the community or if you want to bring anyone nurses can come they don't have to live there to be a part of it that's great. I really look forward to that. There used yeah. to be a nurse's house on the East Coast. It no longer exists physically. And mm -hmm. I think the organization still exists, but they don't have a physical home anymore. So this would be the first of its kind at this juncture in the 21st century right. in the United States. And I'm going to make an offer right now, just off the cuff, that for the first four listeners who give $100 to the GoFundMe and make sure Diana and Lucy know that you've given $100 towards this GoFundMe for nurses, you'll get an hour coaching with me that you can use at any time. So awesome. the first four to Thank give $100 each to the GoFundMe, and you have to make sure you identify yourself to them so that they know that you have given the money from listening to the Nurse Keith show. That's so awesome. I just wanted to make that off-the-cuff offer. And you all are really wonderful. And I look forward to meeting you in person when the time comes that we can actually do that. Exactly. <laughs> and I look forward to a little, you know, a nice dinner with, um, with Caroline Carthenus and the two of you and maybe more of your group and Caroline's husband and baby and whoever else can oh, come. Yes. And really to, to dig deep into community. And, and I'd love to be a part of this in whatever way I can manage to do so. So and we thank would love you to both. And we, you oh, are thank already you. doing it, Keith. Thank you. Yay, thank you thank for what you. you're doing. We're really happy to be here with you and for sharing the work that we're doing. Thank you. You all are really wonderful. And I look forward to having you back maybe later in 2020 or early 2021 to see how things are progressing. Sounds good. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do it. Thank you. All right. Well, there you have it. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Nurse Keith Show. And remember, the show notes will be at nursekeith.com episodes forward slash episode 284. I hope you feel uplifted and empowered and maybe a little radicalized from this episode. And I encourage you to take inspired action in the interest of your personal and professional satisfaction and however you would like to give to the world. And did you know you can go to the Nurse Keith Show to the resources drop down page? You can find job listings, you can find all sorts of resources. We will also have a link to Cultivating Self's GoFundMe there on the resource page as well. The Nurse Keith Show is adroitly produced by Rob Johnston of 520R Podcasting and Mark Cappy-Speeson is our social media ringmaster. I'm grateful to both Rob and Mark for keeping the wheels turning in the right direction and keeping me in place with a whip and a chair. Be well, dig deep, seek joy, keep in touch. This is Nurse Keith saying adios till next time from beautiful Santa Fe, New Mexico. Lucy Camarena bidding you adios from at Walnut Creek, California. <laughs> All right. And Diana Conturena saying goodbye from Alameda, California. Alameda, California. Thank you both. And we will see you all on the flip side. Bye.